episode 121 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast, take three, and we are here in Castle Wolfenstein. My name is Patsy the Angry Nerd, we're glad to have you with us on this fine evening. I am joined, of course... Wait, evening? Like, what if they're listening to it... Listen, I can't be co- accounting for every single time zone. Like, it's evening for us, so that's what I'm going with. Okay. So, I am here, of course, as you already heard, with the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, and the now as old as Jesus, because her birthday was yesterday. So if you haven't, make sure you wish her a happy birthday. It's Ashes Von Nightmare. Happy Ashtober, everyone. Oh, yeah. It's so, Ashtober. If I'm as old as Jesus, does that mean that I can also turn water into wine? Because you that would save water me. water into fire. That would save me so much money. So much money. It would. You'd be like, bam. Why? It would also make showers a lot more interesting. Ooh. I'm brushing my teeth. You've been brushing <laughs> your teeth for 40 minutes. Oh, you don't know me. They still have <laughs> wine stains on them. I don't know why. I'm not drunk. You're drunk. You don't know me. <laughs> we are, of course, also joined by the man who makes a an appearance in today's episode as a contributor because we have a very special rock and shock episode today. The man with the velvet voice, the hardest working man in podcasting, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Wolfenstein. Does that uh, does that mean I get paid double for this? Yes, twice what we normally pay you. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send the invoice. Nice. <laughs> so, Rock and Shock just happened. It was last week. Actually, a week ago today. Well, a week ago today was the kickoff. It was yes. this past weekend. Well, I was going to say, the week ago today, we were enjoying the Ice Nine Kills fronted uh, official rock and shock kickoff party and i believe this is the first time they've ever done anything like that had a kickoff party the thursday night before the con started i think so i may be wrong but uh, i think so but uh which was pretty rad they should definitely do it again and they should definitely get uh ice nine kills again because they were fucking awesome but more on ice nine kills a little later so ashes yes what was the highlight of your uh of your rock and shock weekend oh my god um do i have to pick just one because there were a lot um as we've said in the past rock and shock is less like a convention and more like a family reunion and you know this year was no different uh being able to see people who we speak to quite frequently but don't get to see often um, was just absolutely wonderful. And the music this year was pretty rad. Yeah. You know, we attended the Ice Nine Kills show. Yep. We saw Light the Torch. We saw Avatar. We saw Trivium. We weren't the only ones who saw Trivium. No. Isn't that right there, Wolfie? Yeah, I heard someone else uh, in this room saw them. Yeah, I heard it was you. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think for me, the best, and we're going to hear from this person during uh, 
during our uh, our interview segment because we weren't around and we had you know like what we do every year we ask a specific question. This year, the specific question was, "Who is your favorite Universal monster, and what is your favorite portrayal of them?" Ah, oh, shit! I thought it was, "Who's your daddy and what does he do?" Oh, <laughs> is he rich like me? <laughs> um, and we got a lot of great responses. We also had some really great interviews as well. Uh, yeah, because um, there are a couple uh, of interviews on here where we don't ask that question, but the interviews are phenomenal nonetheless. Uh, we got to talk to uh, Bill and Kyle from Survival of the Film Freaks. I'm very excited to see that documentary. I am as well. And especially after speaking to them and being able to pick their brains a little bit and learning more about what the documentary is all about. It sounds fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, but you don't have to take our word for it. Just keep listening, and uh, they'll tell you all about it themselves. I hear there's two very handsome uh, people featured in that film, too. Yeah, um, I know uh, Mr. Johnny Wolfenstein is in this film. and Oh, I met Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, I, I thought <laughs> I was going to say I, I thought you meant uh, Dynamo Mars and Ted Raimi, but uh, yeah, there's any number of handsome people in it. I was just going to count you twice. Um, but yeah, so that's another uh, another little nugget that you get to learn later on. But yeah, we have some great interviews um, with some of our friends, some of our con family, including one gentleman. Who I'm not gonna I'm not Who gonna mention. Who surprised the fuck out of us? I'm not gonna lie. Only like two people knew that he was coming up. One of them was Johnny Wolfenstein, but he found out after Michael Ravenshadow because he stayed with Ravenshadow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miss Wiley almost spilled the beans, but she managed to hold it together. But uh, we're not gonna say who it is because we want you to be as surprised as we were. But we do have some great interviews from some pretty big name celebrities. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to? Do you want to say who? No, they are? I want people to listen and find out on their own. Well, I've already kind of teased it on the social media. Well, you can still tease away. They're gonna have to wait. So we sprinkled them in, so you don't know where it is. You can't just like skip to that interview. You're gonna have to listen to everybody. So, but we have some some very well known. Uh, Actors in the horror genre. Oh, you know, oh, I forgot to mention another favorite part of Rock and Shock was the Deadite show at the Cove on Friday night. Oh, yeah, that was a good time. Where I dressed like a grizzly seaman. Yes, yes. um, You and I are more you you than Captain of the Orca. That's right, Mr. Quint. Uh, Quint from Jaws, and I was surprisingly the shark from Jaws. Uh, everyone complimented. No. Everyone complimented your your outfit because there were people. I was like, "Oh, did you see ashes?" And people were like, "No." I'm like, "She's right there." And they're like, "Holy shit!" Like I just walked right by her and didn't realize that she was even there. I will admit it was probably the most comfortable Halloween costume I've ever worn. I was pretty much wearing all oversized men's clothing. Mm-hmm. And aside from the wig that kind of got itchy after a couple of hours. Very comfy. Uh, yeah, it was very comfy. I drank PBR. 
Yes, because you had they didn't have Narragansett. They so didn't you have had to no. Go they with, didn't. So I asked the bartender. I said, "Give me the shittiest beer that you have," and he said, "One PBR coming right up," and it wasn't very good. No offense to those out there who choose to drink PBR. I'm just not a beer person, as you all know. So, but but I stayed in character. You did, and I drank the PBR. You did, and. I danced with a shark. You did. And um, took my leg off. I did. I did. I'm sorry. But I I hadn't really eaten anything earlier all you know, all day. So That's your own fault. Oh, I know. All I do is eat and swim and make little sharks. And that's it. So um we're not gonna do a whole lot of uh, introduction because We've, we want to get to these interviews. We've got a lot of really good interviews. We talked to a lot of good folks. You know, like I said, you know, we had people pick their favorite Universal monsters. Uh, Johnny Wolfenstein makes a very interesting choice, and I think it might surprise you. Um, a couple people. There were there were two people who uh, who picked the same thing. Oh, and that's it wasn't just people we knew. We went around. We we uh, were trying to help promote people's stuff so in addition to talking to you know bill and kyle from survival of the film freaks again uh we got to chat with uh uh it came from the 508 the uh horror film uh studio mm-hmm. uh picked up their film haven't watched it yet but you know we're going to um we got their take on uh their favorite transformation which i thought was great uh, a lot of people were wearing shirts representing certain monsters and then not choosing those monsters, which I thought was very interesting. Well, I mean, you know, a shirt's just a shirt. That's true. But, I mean, you know, you want to represent your favorite thing. Like somebody's wearing a, a a Frankenstein shirt and they chose a different, you know, a monster other than Frankenstein as their favorite. But, you know, you can have more than one favorite. You can like more than one. So that's that's perfectly fine. Uh, but I think we got some good ones. We got some uh, some familiar voices that you've heard on the show before. We've got a few first-time voices that you've never heard. Um, and we have a couple of first-time people we had never met up until, up until uh, this past weekend. So, I mean, there's too much. We could do uh, a, a whole four or five shows just talking about what we liked on on uh this weekend but we're gonna get right into these interviews yeah so without further ado adieu here are the interviews that we scored at rock and shock so we are here at rock and shock with mr mike welch and mike uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement with the show here all right. Uh, well, I started as a volunteer in the... Uh, well, actually, I started as a fan in 2005. And then a few years later, uh, I started as a volunteer. Uh, back then, we only needed, you know, five volunteers maybe for the show. And now we're up to, you know, 30-plus. Um, and then over the years, I, I stepped up and I became a volunteer coordinator. So I began bringing in all the volunteers and assigning them, etc. And then in last year, I started as the vendor coordinator as well. Uh, so I sell all the vendor booths, get everybody arranged, make sure they get in the building okay, out of the building okay, etc. So our question for you, uh, because we've been covering Universal Monsters, who is your favorite Universal Monster, and do you have a specific 
uh, portrayal of that character that's near and dear to your heart? Uh, I am a Wolfman fan. Nice. Uh, I always feel very sympathetic to him because, it's not, you know, like a lot of the Universal Monsters, not all of them, uh, it, you know, what happened to him wasn't his fault by any means. Um, perhaps he is my favorite also because it's a very human thing that, you know, happened to him and he becomes so unhuman in the process, which I guess you could say a lot of people who do horrible things to other people become unhuman in that That's as well. Fair. Yeah. Uh, so is there a specific portrayal? Like, is it Lon Chaney above everything, or is there somebody else that you... Yeah, I mean, Lon, Lon Chaney is the king. You know, I, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I will watch any... any I mean, Paul Nashi, you know, he's also great. Just kind of maybe maybe a little unsung, not with the, the dedicated fans, but mainstream fans may not know a lot of stuff, you know, especially in the States. Uh, but he's, you know, any of his stuff is worth checking out. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's Cheney is the king of everything, um, and you know, and and he made a great son as well. That's yes. true. <laughs> yes. So, bonus question on this: because you chose the Wolfman, I have to know what is your all-time favorite cinematic werewolf transformation? Oh man, there's so much. It's, like, it's a tough choice. I mean, for the technical aspect of it, I, I would have to go American Werewolf in London. Just for the time it came out and what they did with it, I, I think that's the best transformation. That, that first, you know, really quiet. And I love that shot where it just cuts to Mickey Mouse looking shocked and then it cuts back. Yeah. That's fantastic. It is. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, look forward to uh, having you on the show sometime. Great. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Here at Rock and Chuck. It's Ashes, it's me, and it's, for the first time ever, live, not on voicemail, we have Evil Corny. Evil Corny, how the fuck are you, buddy? I'm good. I've been loving it. It's so awesome to have you here. I was so surprised when you walked in to the Cove on, on Friday night, and I was like, holy shit, that's Evil Corny, because it was probably the best kept secret of Rocket Shock. Yeah. So... The question I have for you that we've been asking everybody mm -hmm. is, uh, who is your favorite universal monster, okay. and who is your favorite portrayal of that character? I know, it's not an easy one. I don't want to say Dracula, and was it Bela Lugosi that played him? Yes. Yeah. That was my favorite. The, 19, one I remember the 1931? Yeah, yeah. yeah. First we, one only, we only recently watched that for the first okay. time ever, uh, a couple weeks ago when we covered the character. So... You know, I, I can definitely see that because he was, he just had that look about him. Yeah, that really, yeah, like, yeah. charismatic, sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like when um, they did Brown Strokes Dracula. I was trying to think of Coppola's name when I, <laughs> when I said it. But I, I really enjoyed seeing that and um, how Gary, um, Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman uh, portrayed, portrayed that. Yeah, because he was creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they but it was still, you know, he still, you know, made it romantic and everything. Yeah. You know, he's all, you know. And then they based the, uh, they based the Simpsons Halloween special on, on that yeah, game. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Evil Corny. I have something I want to give you, but I'm okay. going to do it off air. So. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we are over here with uh, birthday boy uh, Scott. All right. How do you pronounce your last name? Because I always say it differently. Goudsward. God's word. Okay, I was saying Stevenson, so I was way off. So we're over here with birthday boy Scott Goudsward. He's 71 today, and 
Uh, 51. 51. You don't uh. look a day over 65. Sorry, I'm, I, was, I, was thinking of, <laughs> I was thinking of the other Scott. Uh, and he's here with his flashy blue drink. The flashy... Yeah, there's no... This is a... I have to describe it because this is audio. Because I'm old enough and it's checked and I'm old. I'm not putting the hat on. So, because we're covering the con and because we like asking horror people horror questions, our question for you is, I'm gesturing with my uh, Tootsie Roll that's half eaten, like it's a laser pointer. Uh, Who is your favorite universal monster and who is the best portrayal of that character in your opinion? Damn. Uh, Dracula and Bella Lugosi, or Creature of the Black Lagoon and Rico Browning. How's that? That works. Because I used to watch them all on Creature Double Feature every Saturday because I'm that old. <laughs> so, we've also got Trish here. Trish, the, the lovely Trish Wildridge. Uh, Trish, same question to you. Who is your favorite Universal monster? And your favorite portrayal of that character? I'm going to have to go with uh, the Phantom, Phantom of the Opera, and Lon Chaney. I just saw that again at the Hanover with the big Wurlitzer, and that was friggin' awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's a good one. And of course, Dave. No, why do I always call you Dave? He's the other Scott. The other Scott. I always call you Dave, and I don't know why. So, this is not Dave. Dave's a different guy. It's just, it must be there's two handsome looking guys running around. So, so we've got, we've got a different Scott, not the 71 year old Scott, but we are here and we're asking you the same thing because you have one of the best shirts I've ever seen. It's a picture of Cthulhu with a cowboy hat and it says at the broke back mountains of madness. So same question to you. Who is your favorite universal monster and your favorite portrayal? I hate to say this, but Scott already stole my answer. Ah, steal it back. It's definitely Bella Lugosi as Dracula. That's fair. He does not drink wine. He does not. No, uh, Gary Oldman delivered that line. That's fair. Uh, she says, I do drink wine. That's Ashes, Ashes Von Nightmare there. So she does drink wine. Got a couple other folks here. Looks like Rob's a little busy at the moment selling stuff. But we got we got Jack. I do like Jack. Oh, I. That's fine. That's. So we're we're chatting with Jack a little bit here. And now we've got Mr. Rob Smales. And now this might be a giveaway, but yeah, I can see what's on his shirt. You can't because this is audio. Uh, so my question for you that I've been asking everyone is, who is your favorite universal monster, and what is your favorite portrayal? At the moment, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon. I have no idea what the name of the guy in the suit is, but I like the technology that went into the, the actual suit. Um, it's the universal mon- uh, monster movie that I've seen most recently, and... All the scenes, all the underwater scenes, extended scenes where they make a big deal of the fact that all the scuba guys have massive amounts of bubbles coming out of them, and he does not, makes it super creepy. Yeah. Uh, it, it really works, and I can't remember the name of the guy who actually wore the suit. Scott just said it a minute ago, or somebody just said it a minute ago. I don't know. And I don't remember. 
I don't know, but I, I, I read something once about the way they made the, they designed the suit to work underwater for limited periods of time. It's so, all, entirely self-contained, no extra space wasted. That was impressive. It's awesome. It is, especially for like the 30s. Yeah. So, cool. Good. Well, thank you. Good. I appreciate it. Uh, you want to plug any of your work that you got going? Sure. Um, at the moment, the newest thing that I have that just came out is somewhere around here. Where is? There it is. Uh, it's a novella called Friends in High Places. It's um, about a hazing that takes place in, around 1975 that goes bad. The hazing goes bad, and then once it's all done, it goes worse. And it was fun. And where can folks find this? Amazon. Amazon. Amazon Bloodshot Books, or they can look me up online and find it on my website. You got any, uh, anything upcoming? Uh, at the moment, we're shopping around a YA... I'm in a collaboration uh, series with uh, Stacey Longo. Okay. Um, I like Stacey. And we are, we are sh- she is. We are shopping around. It's a YA paranormal adventure series, uh, tentatively titled the Wherever After series. We're shopping around to agents at the moment. Excellent. Uh, are there any other conventions you're going to be uh, at with the New England Horror Writers? October 27th and 28th, we're going to be in Salem, Massachusetts at Derby Square, uh, right just off of Essex Street, the main drag. Okay. Uh, for both days, having a big major tent sale, lots of books, lots of writers, lots of fun. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you so much. So, back, back at, uh, yeah, let's move over a little bit to the right. See, this is why we have filmmakers here, so we get better, uh, you know, spacing and everything. So, we're here. (coughs) I'm sneezing. (coughs) Gesundheit. That's staying in. We're not editing that. That's a rock and shock sneeze. So, we're here, and uh, we're here with our friends, uh, TJ and Alex and Brandon. Spicy Kristen's here, too. And uh, so, the question we've been asking everybody, and we'll start with uh, Alex... Because uh, as we determined prior to recording, he is the most important. So the question we've been asking everybody is, who is your favorite universal monster, and what is your favorite portrayal of that character? Ooh, uh, favorite universal monster is Gilman from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, objectively, he might not be as cool as I think he is, but he's kind of the Boba Fett of the Universal Monster, where he looks amazing. Like, the creature design is incredible, even by today's standards. Um, But if we're being honest, like, he's... He doesn't have the most compelling story. Um, I think the best one is Frankenstein, but from, like, the little kid's eyes, uh, which is how I view most movies and think about most things, um, I think it's hard to top creature. And... Really, only the first one is the one that matters. Like, the sequels are fun. It's cool to see him like in the real world, but in the original Creature from the Black Lagoon is the best betrayal. Okay, that's fair. You know, um, I would have I would have thrown out Monster Squad, but that's me. That's, that's not Creature me. From the Black Lagoon. That's Gilman. I'd like to add an addendum. I legally, it is not Creature from the Black yes, Lagoon. Yes, no, legal creature stole my twin. Yeah, legally, but in your heart, it in was. your heart. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, Horace is also not Rambo. So <laughs> what? His name is Horace. <laughs> Just throwing that out. Uh, no, I uh, did. Oh, did you guys know that Wolfman's got nards? <laughs> I did know that. I, I learned that from that documentary, Monster Squad. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, the only movie that will answer the Nard question. <laughs> Wolfman. Well, it was the only Nards. one brave enough Does to he address have it. Still don't know about Dracula, but, you know. So, uh, DJ, we'll go with you. Uh, your favorite Universal Monster and favorite uh, portrayal? Uh, Ooh, this is good radio. <laughs> can you sneeze? You can really... The, the... Yeah, do something to fill the <laughs> it's, it's palpable. He's thinking really hard, though, because this... This isn't an easy question unless you have like one specific like thing that really like stands out to you. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's fair too. I like them all, but uh, you want me to pick one that's hard. Um, yeah, yeah. He just covered all of that when he said like, <laughs> if you don't know right off the bat, it's a difficult question. You're just reiterating the things he said. Listen, he's filling the airtime. That's all that matters. Oh, I see. I get <laughs> it. Be a four-hour podcast. So uh, the question you asked yeah, three, is a three questionable hours, one. Three uh, hours and 50 minutes of which is just waiting for TV you really to answer the question. You crap out of that question. I like The Bride of Frankenstein. I like Jennifer Beals in The Bride movie. Nice. There you go. Hey, see? That was a good one. That yeah. was a good choice. That's a good choice, too. Like, in a good way. Yeah. So, Brandon, we'll go with you. Uh, and Brandon's been on the show a couple times. So, I have. question to you. Same thing. I'm sorry. What was the question? No, I, I, I got it. Uh, my my favorite my favorite monster is Dracula, and my favorite portrayal is Duncan Rager in the Monster Squad. That's what I said when we did. Oh, really? Our, our uh, Dracula show a couple weeks ago. What a, what a surprise that yeah, we sh- that you and I have the same opinion, the opinion on something. What, what a shock! Whoa! Oh man, crazy! What I shouldn't have even bothered answering. I should have just said whatever Pat said. Yeah, basically. Because I mean. When when uh, when else have you had Dracula delivering one-liners like that? I give me the amulet. You, you bitch. bitch. You bitch. <laughs> no 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 no. That's not even the best one. The best one is meeting adjourned. Yeah. <laughs> he just walks away. Shit blows up. Meeting adjourned. Oh, that's the best one. He was. I mean, he was great. I, he was my favorite portrayal. And I mean, I'm sure that it's tinged by nostalgia yeah. because I was a young young lad when that movie came out, and that was. For me, the the best portrayal for at that point modern times uh, of the characters in the movies that my father had let me watch growing up. So that was that was definitely uh, a shift from what my dad had to what I was going to start watching for horror movies. Dracula, he was the leader. He was the most charismatic, and that always just appealed to me. I wasn't really big into like the the silence and creeping creatures. I was I was into the the ringleader. I, I... I mistakenly referred to him as the king of vampires and was quickly rebuffed by uh, Sam first. He's like, he's the most well-known, most well, famous of vampires. Who would you call the king? Nosferatu? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I fair mean, that's enough. fair. Yeah. So, Spicy, uh, question to you. Who is your favorite universal monster and what's your favorite portrayal? Uh, I'm not as familiar as all of you guys with... Universal monsters, but I would say just vampires in general have always been my favorite. So I would say. Who's your favorite vampire? I mean. Bella from Twilight. Here's no, Edward no, no, Cullen. No, 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 definitely not. No. Um. I don't know. I. Uh, I don't know. 
Growing up, I was always a big fan of Buffy. So okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's good. Yeah, no, I know. It's a lot different than most, okay. of, most of you guys, so. Um, probably it's like Angel <laughs> Spike. So. Okay, that's it. Somebody actually said yeah. that Spike is the best vampire ever. So, and you know, yeah. that's your opinion? Well, he did save the world, so. Thanks, Spike. <laughs> well, Spike thanks from, everybody. Spike from Buffy Thank Vampire you. Slayer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's awesome. Honestly, yeah. I, he I was better. He was better in Angel, I think, than he was in, in Buffy. That's my own personal. I actually opinion. never watched. Oh, you should check it out. It's pretty yeah. good. It's pretty never good. Well, thank you guys for answering the question. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, you know, next year when you ask me a question, I'm just going to start off with, what did Pat <laughs> say first? Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're over at the Scream Sisters table, and we're here with Misty of the Scream Sisters. And our question to you is, who is your favorite universal monster, and what is your favorite portrayal of that character? Easy. Dracula, Bela Lugosi. You know, that's been probably the most popular answer so far today. It really has. Um, but it's so iconic. It is. Like, that character and that portrayal is so iconic. Like, that's what we identify Dracula to be. You know? Like, he kind of, like, laid out the groundwork. When's the first time you saw that? Like, were you young? Like, because I just watched it for the first time a couple weeks ago. Probably when I was, like, eight or nine years old. Okay. I was huge into monsters when I was a kid. Was it at the theater? Was it, you know, at, on TV? On TV. On TV, we rented it. Okay. I used to be into like dinosaurs and all like real life monsters like the Loch Ness monster. Oh yeah, you're never too old for that stuff. Yeah, I was into I was into all that when I was a kid. Yeah, well I still so am. Yeah. yeah, me too. Monsters are you know, universal, so to speak. Yeah, that's not exactly what I meant to say, but uh it's not kinda of hammy. But yeah, it's true. Like you can find them everywhere and anywhere. I just went to the Count Orlock at your gallery oh, a we, couple weeks ago, and they have all the Universal monsters there. See, we it's were, amazing. We you were just go. in Salem, and we didn't get a chance to do that. But we were with a group of people, and we like had plans throughout the day. So I took my friend into it, and we we went. It was just amazing. It's small. So there's not a lot, but but they packed in as, as much as they could, and it's really, really. I don't work for them or anything, <laughs> but it's really worth going there. Yeah, we plan on going back. Hopefully, in a month or so, yeah. we want to go back down there, go go there, go to a couple of different. Uh, Let me know when you museum. go. I can get there really easily. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. And where can people find? your podcast Screen Sisters. We're on iTunes and we're on Facebook. Alright, so iTunes and Facebook. Alright. So, and you guys get a lot of amazing guests, you know, Doug Bradley and, and, and uh, Bill Mosley you had on, right? Yeah, I just seem to be Bill Mosley this morning again. Yeah, so you guys get a ton of awesome, awesome people on your show, so if you're into horror, check it out. Yeah, my new episode, the latest episode has Steve Schneider, uh, Tom Savini, and Doug Bradley. Nice. So that's a hell of a lineup. So check them out. And uh, all right, thank you very much. No problem.
And I'm here with, uh, what is your name, sir? James D. Lamont. Nice to meet you. I'm nice Patrick. You they too. call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. My wife, Ash, is Von Nightmare. Nice, nice to, to meet you, Jim. How are you doing? What is your name? I'm Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. He's one of our assistant directors, production design. Fantastic. And uh, so, what is it that you do? Tell us what, what uh, we're looking at here. We're in a case, uh, it came from the Five Way Productions. It's an independent horror film studio out of Fall River, Massachusetts. We basically make low-budget horror where we don't really skimp on. We try not to skimp on the quality. Of, you know, try not to fall into the traps that low-budget horror usually goes right. into. Um, elevated script writing is like our most important, our foundation, if you will. Um, beyond that, we also have two podcasts, well, video podcasts, okay. shows that we do on YouTube, Slash TV and Dogmatic Media. Okay. And for Dogmatic Media, it's more of a movie review show, where Slash TV, we're digging deep into horror itself. That's okay. what we do. No, uh, that's sort of what we what we like to do is we uh, we don't do movie reviews so much as we do character reviews. So we kind of like delve deep into the characters that make up the movie. That's that awesome. That, that's awesome. That folks like. I like that. Uh, right now we're doing uh, our our uh, October is Universal Monsters. So one of the things we're asking folks is who is your favorite Universal monster and what is your favorite portrayal of that character? Oh man! Wow. That's actually tough, but I'm probably going to go with a pretty static, cliche answer. The Wolfman. Okay. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. They were, I mean, in a time when, especially coming from a filmmaker's perspective, a time when they were trying to do things with nothing, pretty much. That was like, doing film dissolves was not only just probably groundbreaking in the time for the transformation, but risky. Yeah. Incredibly risky. Because they can melt the film and ruin everything they have. So, just for having the guts to do that, I have to say the wolf. That's that's fair. Yeah. So, when people pick the Wolfman, I have to ask, and you may have already answered it, but what's your favorite all-time werewolf transformation? With oh, all-time werewolf transformation? Yeah. Nah, that's that's not the Wolfman. Okay. Only because there's been advances in time. An American werewolf in one. A lot of folks say that. Hands now, down. I see you're wearing a howling shirt. Yes. Uh, you know, I think it's right there with it. And that one isn't one that got a whole lot of uh, of, of press because of you know you got Landis doing American Werewolf. Absolutely, absolutely. But they it, overshadowed it big time. But you got you know the the special effects for the Howling is Rob Botton from the Thing. Yep. So like you know it's it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. a really it's tough choice. I would say the only reason that. London squeaks out on the Howling. I mean, obviously, I'm a very big Howling fan. Yeah. I said I'm wearing the shirt. But I say that London squeaks out on the Howling only for the guts Baker had. He wanted to do it in one take. Yeah. Which is like Landis, like, cut it all up. But originally, a lot of that was all in one take. And I will say, for me, that gets a slight edge because the Landis-Baker team worked on... One of the greatest short films of all time, Thriller. Yes. Which absolutely. is, again, another amazing transformation. Right. Fun fact about Thriller, too. That came out right about when I was about a year and a half, two years old, right? Scared the living shit out of me. It was my first experience with horror ever. That Mine, trans too. That transformation. And I could not watch that until I was about 13 years old. It, like, scarred me. <laughs> we we lived down the street from a, uh, a, uh, a video store, mm -hmm. and one of the movies, other than... Godzilla 1985 and the Monster Squad, the movie we watched the most was The Making of Thriller. 
so, that's the best documentary I've ever seen. So for and we watched it as kids, you know, you know, I'm I'm 37. Yeah. So, you know, this came out I was 4 or 5 years old. So I got to see like this is what's going on. This is a step-by-step makeup. So it wasn't as scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't that's I like did not get that. that. I was I was sitting between my mom and my dad just like this. They didn't realize what was going on. It was the first time it was ever on television. Yep. He turned into the werewolf, and I screamed. It did not stop screaming for like 20 minutes. And that's fair, because yeah. that's that was terrifying. terrifying. And it that was, was a terrifying was thing. There was nothing like it at the time. So I know we got a little bit off track, but tell me a little bit about your film. Okay, we have two films out. Okay. Um, our first one is One Last Kill. That's out on DVD. You can grab it from our social media sites, whatever. We charge for five bucks. Our next one, though, is The Box. That is actually going to be more of our first feature length. Is that what you've got playing That's here? That's the trailer. Okay, because some of that camera work was really like that quick jumping... Be- I like that type, like that quick editing almost. Yeah. One Last Kill is more of a psychological dive. It's going to mess with your head. It has a twist ending that you will not see coming. Good. This one's going to scare the living shit out of you. I don't know if I can swear or not. I have so fucking lootly. Yeah, it's going to scare the absolute fucking shit out of you. <laughs> this one is very much a straight up 100% no holds barred horror movie, and it's going to freak people the hell out. I promise. So, where can folks find you? Okay, right now, the best way to get in touch with us is through, it, uh, through our Facebook page. It's It Came From the, it's just facebook.com backslash It Came From the 508. Hi. What's up? I apologize. It's okay. Um, But it's facebook.com backslash it came from the 508. Bring you right to our Facebook page. We have our YouTube page hooked up to that. It's our Instagram. All of our happy stuff. But that is the best way to get in touch with us. When when are you expecting the box to come out? I'm looking at... To 2019. There's a poster right behind It's 2019, (laughs) but I'm looking at early 2019. So first quarter. We'll just call it that for the moment. First quarter 2019. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was great talk. I love you. We're here with uh, the super talented uh, comic writer and uh, illustrator, Mr. Derek Rook. Hello. Of uh, Rough House Publishing. And uh, so we're asking you the same question we've been asking everybody. Who is your favorite universal monster and what is your your favorite portrayal of that character? Um, well, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon. And as far as the favorite portrayal goes, I mean, as far as I know, they, they only had three movies all together. Yeah. Um, and the third one, they kind of turned him into a, like a pseudo-human beast or whatever. But I think what I like most about the character, unlike, say, Wolfman or Frankenstein or even Mummy, is that they haven't been, for some strange reason, there hasn't been like 90 movies with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Somebody shot me. And I turn around, this fucking divine. Uh, you had to. That one doesn't translate well over radio, but don't worry about it. We'll bleep it out later. But there hasn't been like six million movies with the creature from the Black Lagoon in it. I'm not exactly sure why that is. Yeah, it's a cool character. It I doesn't, mean, ma- you know, like Frankenstein's got a million. I mean, there's literally a yeah. million Fra- in every genre. There is like there's a Blackenstein, like there's a there's a Sexenstein kind of. Flesh of Frankenstein was a sex movie. I mean, Frankenhooker. Yeah. Frank and Frankenhooker. I mean, there's a zillion of them, right? Well, werewolf movies, Wolfman, whatever in general. Yeah, tons um, of those. 
even a, a fair amount of mummy movies, but for some reason, I mean, you could, I guess you could argue Shape of Water is sort of like a, yeah. the idea of whatever. Or even Abe Sapien from Hellboy. Or even Abe Sapien, but still, on the whole, that's we only named five. Three, three Creature from the Black Lagoon movies and two uh, inspired yeah. you know, versions of the character. Um, but I loved how intricate the um, the actual costume was for the guy to wear back in those days. He had to swim in it. Yeah. Um, he was a professional swimmer. I don't know too much about the, the gentleman who played the character, but, I mean, that must have been insane just by itself. But uh, for rights reasons, it must be, because that's the only thing I can think of as to why they wouldn't they wouldn't monopolize on that character more. Yeah, because we, we, we talked to someone who, who also picked the creature, and... You know, and I'm like, well, what about you know the uh, you know, the Monster Squad? And he's like, well, that's oh yeah, legally yeah, he's distinct enough from the Universal Monster. I mean, with something like Dracula and Frankenstein, like those are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Yeah, like these legends and these characters. So you know the uh, the intellectual property rights, you know the uh, fair use and everything, like. That expired a long time, so anybody can use them. So I think that's, you know, probably a good, a, a good point. You know, even a mummy, like you know, mummies have been around forever. Uh, and if you notice, they never look alike. They they always have a different take. Even the Frankenstein movies, even the uh, Hammer horror movies, the Frankenstein's monster never looked the same twice. Right. You know, you had Christopher Lee played him once, mm-hmm. uh, Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney, but then you had like the evil of Frankenstein and the. Uh, the uh, uh, what was the other one? The uh, monster from hell, Frank Stein, the monster yeah, yeah, from hell, yeah. where you look kind of like half an ape or whatever. That was some of the fun of watching those movies. Is like you always got like this radically. It was one of those things where like every movie, uh, the Frank Stein himself made a monster. The monster didn't work out, and he's like, ah, fuck, I'll just do another one, you know. And yeah. then like, this time I'll make him look like uh, you know. Now he looks like this, yeah, to fit the aesthetics and fit the the actor that was going to play him. And... Yeah, I think, you know, to kind of keep things fresh, because how many times can you tell the, you know, creature story and have something fresh? And new? Well, the, there's a lot of unexplored, uh, unexplored territory in that whole mythos, because I don't even know if they ever explain if he was the only one of his kind. Where did he come from? Is there a whole species? I mean, one that one character was in three movies and died at the end of the third one. So where did he come from? Yeah. Did he mate? Is he, you know, did he create more of his own? Yeah, is he asexual? Can he produce on his own? Does he need a mate? Uh, all these kinds of things. Or even, you know, kind of like the, the the Terminator type thing. Like one got created and made others. Right. So I, it always maybe it's not as easy to to put together. You know, you always have to have. Uh, somebody who can swim in the suit or whatever especially yeah. back in those days you couldn't fake it yeah um, maybe that was an issue I know there's got to be a rights issue though I Otherwise, think that's what it is which doesn't make sense in a way because well I, I don't know I don't know how it all went back in the day but uh, I'm sure those rights are all just, or are they all universal uh, see that's what I don't understand if they're all universal then why is that one... specific version of the character can only be put out by universal but Dracula or Frankenstein that's owned by that's not owned by Universal uh, and that's why yeah okay well there you go well thank you very much Mr. I, appreciate, I appreciate your uh, your time we actually have an interview scheduled now so we have to run off to that but I very much appreciate and uh, tell folks where they can find you uh, roughhousepublishing.com yeah pick up 
uh, uh, Gorshree, because that shit's amazing, and just stay out of the Grove. Yeah, it's stay out of the Grove and uh, buy two of everything, so I'll be twice as, as poor. There you go. All right. All right. <laughs> We are at the Survival of the Film Freaks booth, and uh, will you gentlemen uh, introduce yourselves, please? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Kyle Kukta. I'm one half of the directing team behind Survival of the Film Freaks. I'm Bill Fulkerson. I, I would be the other half of that, that team that Kyle has uh, mentioned already. Excellent. And uh, See, I knew you were Kyle and I knew you were Bill, but I didn't know how to pronounce your last name, uh, so no, I'm I had not you sure. do it. I'm not sure that I do it right either, so... <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of up in the air. C-U-L-C-H-L-A. Yes, yeah. So the, most time, the last time somebody wrote about it, and I've never seen this in my life. If you spell my last name out, it's a nightmare, but it's like I've never seen the spelling of it in my 26 years of living, and in the most recent like article for Sean O'Shea's um, film festival, it was Kukla. So I was like, all right, that's me now. I'm, that's fine. I, I'm Kukla. New name, new name. Yeah. So... Tell us a little bit about your your project, Survival of the Film Freaks. Uh, it's a documentary about Kel Films. It's a uh, 50% like love letter, fun uh, clips and all those classic stuff. But then in the second half of the film, we really kind of get more into the delivery method of these films and how they got to the you know the audiences and how they became cult films and then we kind of look at the you know present day landscape which is so different because everything is on the internet now so we you know kind of walk through all those steps and then we try to take a look at like kind of where the future is going to be and we talk to a lot of people that were involved in the past people that are involved in the present and we, you know people that will hopefully be involved in the future how about you? What have you got to say about the process of doing this whole documentary? Uh, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I think, um, you know, first started, Bill, Bill came to me with this idea, um, this sort of percolating page of thoughts over the past four years on technology and cult cinema and and and, um, and just things of that nature as we try to figure out what tech does to the idea of cult. And for me, it was like, this is really exciting because I think I, I come from like a horror film specific world and but there's a lot of crossover between cult and horror as I, that's why we're here at a horror convention because it makes a lot of sense you know so it was like it was a really exciting for me because I think that both of those genres or those ideas thrive on a community and thrive on getting the word out there and thrive on the actual film viewing um, so that's what got me excited about doing the doc was to be able to kind of not just celebrate cult cinema because that's what there's been a lot of docs that have already done that but to actually ask a couple other questions some harder questions about what it means in this day and age so that's what kind of got me excited about that it was going to be something a little different what were some of the uh, some of the questions that you really wanted answered about you know some of the cult films that you've seen and like did you get satisfactory answers to those questions I, I think so yeah I mean I was kind of like already like into all of it because I've you know reviewed uh, cult films for ten years, so it's like I kind of wanted to see what other people thought about these methods and like how they discovered them in the first place. And one of the things that came up that we were idiots for not really thinking about, but like how important cable television was to people back you know in the late '80s and early '90s and their discovery of cult films. You know, guys like Joe Bob Briggs and the guys like Chris Gore who you know did film uh, film threat and you know up all night on USA with Ron Sheard. These are all things that really help people discover movies that weren't getting shown anywhere else because you, you remember that's it there was VH was S, VHS was out then but you weren't necessarily getting like collector's editions of like these bizarre like sex comedies from like the mid 80s and stuff Right. so I think that was the thing with me like was getting to hear people's stories of how they discovered a lot of these movies how about yeah. you yeah I, I think I, I, I called cable TV was the biggest thing that was I guess the biggest surprise for me the questions that I wanted answered was was the stuff about 
sort of the internet and what, particularly like what streaming means uh, on this stuff. And I think that the exciting thing is that there's, as far as streaming and stuff goes, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's all a, a film viewing discipline, you know. And I think that's what the that's what the fun sort of outcome of what our questions were was that like there wasn't just one train of thought, you know. And it's for for film lovers, for film viewers. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we get our that we get our content now, um, and it's just a matter of how much you appreciate it and how much you support those people. Um, that the answers varied, which is which was cool. I mean, most most times, I mean, the, we're talking to people who are of that world, um, but I think that the viewers of our documentary are not necessarily of that. So I think it like you know it brings up a lot of questions and a lot of different ways of getting those interesting movies to their eyes. So um, that was the that was the exciting part for me. Yeah, so when did you actually start this project? Um, how much organization went into it? And did you experience any difficulties in trying to accomplish your goal? Well, the idea had been incubating in me for oh, like five or six years. It came from a conversation I had with Adam Green, actually, at Rock and Shock okay. five or six years ago. And it was in when his, uh, his film Frozen had got had just hit the torrent site. So he was all pissed off, and we just kind of had this conversation about... Like, kind of, I'm like, how can you put a positive spin on this? And, you know, there's gray areas and everything's not all bad. And um, he didn't necessarily agree with me because obviously the timing of it was a very different thing. But, you know, I went back and kind of went, thought about it and thought about it. So, I mean, I planned it for three and a half years before I even pitched it to Kyle. And then after pitching and Kyle was on board, you know, right away, we took about two years from the moment we started filming to our world premiere. So, um, in documentary world, that's actually a pretty quick turnaround. But we know the film has a lot of time-sensitive technology stuff in it. I think it'll age well, but, like, you want to get it out while that stuff is relevant. So we wanted to make sure that we... So I think maybe one of, you know, one of the the things was having to make sure we got it done quickly enough that it wasn't going to be outdated before it was released. Like, we had a part we were working on in the in the flick that had a bunch of stuff about net neutrality and the net neutrality thing is a very different thing now than it was a year and a half ago when we started talking about it so you know we had to sacrifice that so it's like pulling stuff out that we knew was good stuff but I mean overall I mean I didn't really have any like major like I think just like figuring out what to do and when to do it and how long it would take us yeah I I mean I I use this analogy a lot I mean I think the the production of it wasn't that all that difficult for us I mean um you know, Bill, Bill was doing all the interviews, I was doing the camera stuff, and I think that was both of our strengths in those respective fields, so it's like the production of it was was great. It, it was the difficulties, and, not, and it's not even difficulties, it's just by nature, editing a documentary and trying to piece together our story is where it is, is challenging. Um, so that was the biggest thing for us, and I mean, I, I, we're really both so happy with how it came out, but that's a lot of time. I mean, and it's, I use this analogy a lot, and Bill's probably tired of it now, but it's, I'm going to Oh, keep is this saying, the puzzle analogy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, it's, it's, it's like jumping out a thousand-piece puzzle, but there are no images on that puzzle. It's completely white, so it's like somehow you have to, like, make the puzzle out of a thousand pieces, but you don't even know what the hell the image is. It's like, you know, we have to, we have to project what we think is going to be onto that and then piece it together. Um, you know, it's 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 it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of 
just meticulous work, a lot of trying to figure it all out, you know. But it was it was it was a blast. It was really rewarding, despite those, you know, just nature of the beast difficulties. We were really smart though too about like when we were doing the interviews, we wanted to make sure we knew what we needed going yeah. into each interview. Right. So everything started with a generic, you know, 25 question list. We didn't ask everything of everybody, but we knew what we were getting as we were going. And so like I was reviewing the footage and you know time marking stuff as we went. And I was like, as you got deeper into it, it was like, all right, we've got a lot of stuff on cable TV, but we haven't talked nearly enough about, uh, you know, the you know VHS or whatever at that time. So we knew going in what we were going to need for each interview. So it made it, a, a, I shouldn't say a lot easier, no, but it, a lot easier than it, it really could have been. It could have been a nightmare trying to go through 27 different interviews and, you know, 40-something hours of footage or whatever it was. And that's just interviews, not to mention the 37 hours of trailers we pulled to use for clips. <laughs> so... A lot of trailers. A lot of trailers. You know, your, your analogy uh, reminds me, we were at the, the Malcolm McDowell panel yesterday, and he made a comment about Stanley Kubrick's filmmaking. He said, well, what do you want? And Kubrick said, I don't know, but I know what I don't want. Yeah. Which yeah. is why he would do, like, a thousand takes of everything. Right. So, it, it's kind of like that. It feels, yeah, yeah, it feels a lot like that. It's like, we knew that we didn't just want to be a clip show. We knew that we didn't just want to talk 90 minutes about video stores. Like, we, we did know those things. And mm -hmm. I think that, like, we probably had a little bit more idea than what Kubrick probably has for any yeah. of his films. But it does feel that way a lot of times. It does, it does work in that, in that same plane, you know. Like, were there things that, you know, as you were going through the process, you were like, I should ask this now. Like, it wasn't part of the uh, preparation. But, like, as you were going through it, you're like, okay, let me do this. Yeah, we actually completely forgot to talk about Laserdiscs for people, like, through the first, like, seven or eight interviews. And then we did an interview with BJ McDonald, who directed the Slayer trilogy of videos, or Pentless videos. He also directed Hatchet 3. And he brought up Laserdiscs. And, like, in the middle of the interview, I was like, oh, shit. Like... Yeah, let's talk about Laserdiscs. And so then we started to institute that in there. Um, it's not like a big part of the movie, because Laserdiscs were really... Laserdicks? Laserdicks. Laserdicks were apparently like a flash in the pan. They were really quick, right. like only a couple years. So, but we, it was some, it's part of the story, and you know we needed to include it. And unfortunately, we weren't apparently bright enough to remember it from the right. get-go. But then on the flip side of that, it's like uh, the, just the natural sort of progression of our interviews. It doesn't come up. It barely came up again in anything else. So it's like I'm glad we, were, we were happy that we caught it for like the next handful of interviews, but just naturally it never came up again, which is why it doesn't exist in our world anymore. Right, sure. You know? Now, I know that you are currently doing like the festival circuit with this documentary. Do you plan on releasing it at some point? We're going to actually burn all copies of it in a fire okay. after our final screening. So that it, No, yeah, I mean, that's the question, you know, because like it, people are interested by the idea and everyone wants to see it, but we're, we want to do it right. We want to give it a good festival run. We want to play it as many places as we can, get it on as many actual screens as possible, yeah. because that's really the only chance you're going to get is on that initial release to try to get it into theaters. But, you know, we think it'll have a really good home at, you know, at a streaming service somewhere, um, and then we would like to do, like, a collector's edition Blu-ray after, like, you know, that initial run. So we're hoping, we've got, we've got a bunch of festivals booked between now and the end of the year, so we're hoping spring 2019 to have, like, a more definitive, like, release date and plan. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't know yet. We know it'll be out. Yeah. Um, even if we end up putting it out ourselves, we'll do that because um, we don't want to sit on it. Right. 
And so. Again, I mean, that goes with how fast the production was. I mean, the longer we sit on it, the time-sensitive material is still there. So it's like, and people are really excited. I mean, the, the blessing of it all is that people are excited about it. It's cool that you guys are asking, but it's like there's people that, you know, we wouldn't have expected to, you know, talk to or ask. People that aren't even at this convention that have been in other festivals that are like, yeah, this is great, and it's, it's I don't know, it's been, it's the, the response to it's been great, that makes us want to get it out there faster, um, but also do it right, too, so. Now, is there, uh, you were talking about, you know, how, you know, the advent of cable changed things around, now, do you think that the, you know, the amount of torrenting of, you know, older properties, and, you know, YouTube, and, like, the expanse of, like, you know, streaming services like Shudder, do you think that has helped, you know, really let people know about stuff? I see you got, like, Yodorowsky going right now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like somebody like Alexander Yodorowsky, like... Alejandro! Alejandro, I'm sorry. It's been a long few days. <laughs> That's his English I'm name. Sorry. That's fine. I like uh, to call him Murray. I'm Murray! I'm Murray Yodorowsky. <laughs> sorry. He has a bagel shop on 4th. Uh, you know, there's... You know, do you think that's helped, you know... Absolutely. Yeah, um... You know, everyone wants to be doom and gloom about torrenting and downloading. And yeah, it's a problem. There's no doubt there. But there's silver linings to it. There's so many films, like right behind where our, our desk is here, the VHSP, uh, VHSPS, VHS Preservation Society, they deal with stuff that's never been released on DVD. And a lot of those, like, those films are never going to get DVD releases. So, like, are we just not supposed to be able to ever see them again? Yeah. Because they don't have, like, you know, there's a rights issue or there's, you know, there isn't a, you know, a print that's available to, to remaster. So do they are they just gone? You just don't get to see them? So I look at it that way, whereas, like, yeah, you don't want to be torrenting every brand new single movie that comes out because that's not going to help anybody. I mean, you want people, you know, like us and like a lot of the other filmmakers that we've met, you want to be able to make those movies. And if you just torrent their stuff, you're never going to make any money and you can't just continue to funnel money into projects and not get some type of return on investment. So I think there's, you know, a time and a place for it, especially for older properties, like you said, like the stuff that like you just can't get anywhere else. Like if you get you, if somebody puts it up on YouTube, if it's not available and like the only thing you can get is like a out of print VHS that some jerk off is selling for $500 on eBay, like torrent that shit, you know, like. Because, like, the director's not going to get any of that money on a resale copy of a VHS. Like, that guy's just going to take that $500 and buy a bunch more VHSs and sell them at high prices. So Yeah, he's not going to send a cut yeah, to the director. Yeah, yeah. Like, one of my favorite my favorite cult movies that nobody knows about is this film called Alabama, Alabama's Ghost. And a guy named Frederick Hodge directed it. And, like, the VHS goes for, like, $700, $800 when it shows up on eBay. And it's like, no, like, that guy that guy wasn't getting his family and getting any of that money. So, like... Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to download a copy of it because that's like the way I'm going to get to see it. But if it comes out, if Vinegar Syndrome or Shout Factor, somebody puts it out, I'm, I'll go out and buy it. All of our fingers are crossed right now as we talk about Alabama's Ghost. I dropped that, I dropped that movie in every interview because more people need to see it. It is on YouTube. So. Okay. It's a good one to check out. Yeah. Um, well, good's a relative term, but it's... It's, it's yeah. an enjoyable experience. It's, it's one of those like, you know, watch it and your life will be different for having seen it. Yeah. You look at the world in a bold <laughs> way. Yeah. So, um, i trying to think what else I wanted to ask you guys. Um, you said you got, you know, a bunch of uh, festivals and stuff yep. lined up. Where are you going to be appearing? So, um, the next ones are next weekend. So, it's uh, October the... Hold on, I got my cheat sheet right here. 
it's been a long weekend. So Friday, October 19th, we're going to be in Las Vegas. Um, so we, Bill and I, are not, but our film is, which is really exciting. Second uh, annual uh, Sin City Horror Fest. It's happening at the Palms Casino. They have a uh, like an IMAX 14-screen theater there. Um, so they, they do a film festival that whole weekend, and we're kind of kicking things off. We're the first feature right after their first block of shorts, and then when we are right before their screening of John Carpenter's Halloween. So that's a little bit of a weird one to sort of be juxtaposed with, but, you know, we'll take it. Yeah. And then um, we, Bill and I will actually be at the Knoxville Horror Film Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee for uh, Sunday, uh, October 21st. And that's at 345. Knoxville's got a great lineup this year, um, and we're really honored to be a part of it. And we're going to be down there the whole weekend, so that'll be a blast. Um, so that's happening next weekend. We do have one in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, it's the first ever Witch City Horror Film Festival happening at Cinema Salem. It's Saturday, October 27th. Um, so if you ever wanted to go up to Salem for Halloween weekend, you can come check out our film and get out of the craziness for 85 minutes if you'd like. Well, more than that, because we got a, we got a Q&A afterwards, too. Um, but Witch City Horror Fest is going to be up there. Uh, we're going to be up there. It's going to be a good time. And then we have one more in Atlanta uh, at the Buried Alive Film Festival. They're celebrating their 13th year, and that's Sunday, November 18th. Um, and we're playing right before the world premiere of Clown Nato by Todd Sheets. So Ooh. that's uh, that's going to be something. And It's going to be a movie. That's going to be intense. I don't even know about that. Yeah. No, Todd Sheets is, is, he's got some stuff out there, and I think people are pretty excited for Clown Nato. And uh, we're we're excited to be just down at at Buried Alive. And we have have some more announcements coming up, nothing that we can say uh, publicly yet, but we do have a couple more festivals on the horizon. So the best way to follow us and to stay up to date is just find us on Facebook, Survival of the Film Freaks, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Film Freaks Movie. We keep everything pretty up to date there. We'll have some leftover merch from Rock and Shock that we'll be posting too, some shirts and some posters and stuff. So if anybody's interested, uh, we have those too. So that was like the most business-like I've ever been. But I, I, <laughs> well, that was going to be the next thing. Like, where can where can people find you guys? Yeah, yeah, I got you covered. Yeah. I got you covered. Anywhere and everywhere, but also nowhere. But also yes. nowhere. The, the, yeah. So we're we're, we're working fair. on getting in front of people's eyes. So the, the the best way to see it currently right now is some of these festival screenings, and we'll try to get it out to people asap. But, but, but right. <laughs> now, when you guys, you know, get ready to start doing the release and everything, yeah. we definitely would like to have you on the show. Oh, absolutely. Promote it some more. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Get you guys out there, you know. I mean, we don't have a huge range, but, Doesn't you know, matter. We're getting there. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. No, Your we, range is what you want it to be. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, like, we, we, love, we love doing stuff <laughs> it like... It sounds it poetic, sounds though. As long as it sounds good, yeah. <laughs> We love doing stuff like this anyway. Like that—that that doesn't matter to us. Well, yeah. I mean, that's where I came from. I did a podcast. Yeah, no, I do a podcast. I, I, okay. so, outside like, the cinema. That's, yeah, outside the cinema. Available on iTunes. <laughs> but, With an extensive back catalog. Yeah, 560 episodes probably by the time people hear this. But yeah, that's where I came from. So it's like I always love doing like the podcast interviews. I love yeah. meeting other podcasters. So yeah, it's always a good time. And that's how we met you guys through Trick or Treat Radio. That, that family tree of like yes. bastarded yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's really how it worked. Well, I want to thank you guys for your time. I think I got thanks for having us. Thank you. A lot of yeah. good information. Well, all right, I'll have to act surprised. So I'm over at the Trick or Treat Radio booth, booth 515. Not that by the time you hear this, it's going to matter because the con will be over for a week. But uh, we're over here. We got, we got. Raven Shadow, we got Monster Zero, we got Serana, so we're gonna go in a circle in no particular order, and we're gonna start with Serana. So we're asking the same question of everyone Who is your favorite universal monster, and who is your favorite portrayal of that character? 
Oh dear. Well, the the portrayal part is the one I'm tripping up on, but my favorite Universal monster is Dracula. I love vampires. I have ever since I was a kid. Uh, I think they're creepy, sexy, awesome. Uh, as maybe that's weird to want a vampire to suck on your neck as a kid, but hey. Um, so my and my favorite portrayal of Dracula. I've always loved Bela Lugosi. It's hard to pick. He's up there for me because he's just such a classic. Uh, he just such. He's just a character that. He, he was the one that really, cre- when you think of vampires, you think of Bela Lugosi. Um, but I love Interview with the Vampire, and I've always loved uh, Lestat, and Lestat does an amazing job portraying uh, a true, uh, uh, you know, Anne Rice version of vampire, which I also love. So for me, it's very hard to pick between those two, and, uh, but... Again, I guess if I, it's hard for me to pick, I, I pick, would pick them to, uh, to both of those just for different reasons. So I hope that was good enough for you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Perfect. All right, okay, so great. Monster Zero, since you're standing right next to me, yeah. same question to you. Favorite Universal Monster, favorite portrayal? My favorite Universal Monster, I top of the list, is will always be the Bride of Frankenstein. Nice. And, uh, of course, the original portrayal by Elsa Lanchester is, is far and away the best of all time. There, there are many other iterations of that character, such as Madeline Kahn at the end of uh, Young, Frankenstein. Uh, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, and technically Yvonne Carlo in the Munsters. True, very true. Good, tr- good call on that. Yeah, and uh, just the simplicity of it all, but the, uh, but the makeup on 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 uh, on the bride is just. Is is far more intricate than what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah, you got you got you got the wonderful uh, uh, stitch line underneath the chin, and it separates into two just past her right ear, which is always which is look which looks great, uh, and and you don't even see that in the movie. Uh, her, uh, I guess not. I guess that animal quality to her because of the way she hisses after she's, you know, trying to keep Frankenstein's monster away from her. So, you know, so there's that animal quality about her as well. You, you know, you never hear her speak. You only hear her hissing and screaming. And just the way that movie is lit is, is absolutely phenomenal. And it still has special effects that hold up to this day from 1935 so it's it's a great movie my favorite yeah universal character and uh elsa really just brought it you know that's a good choice yeah i love it cool well thank you appreciate it um now we got raven shadow here raven shadow is uh also ready Raven Shadow, it's it's weird. I didn't recognize you without a booze. So he's got this clear liquid. I don't know what it is. It's not alcoholic. Um, not quite sure what it is. I'm not used to seeing Raven Shadow with it. Well, but, it's fair. Uh, uh, well, vodka, Patsy, I'm not sure you don't get out much, but vodka is also uh, clear. Yeah, so, but I said clear, non-alcoholic. Uh, well, as far as you know. That's true. Don't that's tell true. Johnny Wolfenstein. I won't. 
I won't if you won't. I will, absolutely. So Raven Shadow, yes. same question to you. Uh, who's your favorite Universal monster and who's your favorite portrayal of them? Well, I gotta say, if we're going back to the old school Universal, right? It's the classic ones, the Wolfman, uh, yeah. the Dracula, the Frankenstein. Um, I gotta oh, say, Dracula. the Dracula. Uh, my favorite is the, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Nice. Um, in terms of overall visual, I mean, it's, that's the one that has the best look that I think has not been replicated or duplicated um, or, or any kind of... Upon. Uh, improved upon since, you know, aside from, um, I almost said Benicio Del Toro, uh, Guillermo Del Toro, uh, uh, Shape of the Water, or Mike Vignola, uh, but I'm having fun with you here. But no, I, I love the creature from the Black Lagoon, that's my favorite. Uh, in terms of portrayal, I guess there was just the one, uh, I think his name was Ted, who was the actor that played him, I'm not sure. Ted, Ted the Electrician? Yeah, Ted the Electrician, <laughs> uh, he's, he's out of work, he's trying to diversify, but no, um, I think the creature is the best visual for, for me. All right, cool. Well, I appreciate it. All right, bro. Thank you. Uh, we also got we got, we got Wolfie and, and Dynamo over here, so we might as well just grab these guys, so see if we can squeeze through. Pardon me, MZ. Just trying to squeeze through here. And we got, we got Ashes coming, too. Dynamo's looking at me, looking like he's going to run. Dynamo, uh, so we're, we're, we're asking some folks around here for the show. Uh, first of all, you're how asking you doing? me for a show. This is for our show. This is audio, so there's not much that I could do to. Oh yeah, well, Dynamo. Uh, because this is I audio, I have eyes for you. I will say that he does have pants on. I do because this is unusual. Though your co-host yeah. makes that negotiable. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so my question for you is what we're asking everybody here at the con. Uh, who's your favorite Universal monster, and which is your favorite portrayal of that Universal monster? I love Frankenstein. Easy. Um, in a Universal film? There's any portrayal of Frankenstein, oh, ever. I think the one that, like, there are two sides. There's kind of, like, the misunderstanding about Frankenstein, that, like, he was, like, this, like, non-malevolent force, like, where, like, you know, like, but he was really just, like, raw, like, emotion. Yes. But I do find romantic that, like, he's just misunderstood. And yes. I think the best delivery of that was in Monster Squad. Yes. You know, yeah, like, Tom what, yeah, because he, you know, like, he, it, it was almost like taking back, like, even though it's an original, it was almost like taking back that image of him yeah. killing that child and throwing her into the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, I, I think that's my favorite part. All right, that's a good uh, choice. I like that. Oh Thank God. you. Thank you. Let's see if we can get Wolfie. Wolfie, yeah. you got a second? Um, <laughs> I was going to go walk around. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's literally like two seconds. All we got to, we just got to ask you one question. <laughs> Who is your favorite Universal monster, and what's your favorite portrayal? So... All right, well, I'm not as well-versed in Universal Monsters as a lot of other folks are, unfortunately, but I would probably say Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein, because I saw it when I was a kid, and it had a big impact on me, and I haven't watched it in quite a few years, uh, but it's definitely due for a rewatch. So maybe around Halloween this year, I'm probably going to rewatch that one. But, uh, yeah, I would probably say the original Frankenstein will probably be my pick. All right, cool. I see, I was going to guess, yo. Know, Wolfman, you know, judging by the, the, the by, by your name, but but that's fair. All right. Well, thank you very much, Wolfie. I don't want to take any more of your time. You can go run around and do stuff. All right. So we are here, uh, rock and shock yet again. We are here uh, at the Cleaver booth, and I know we have a lot of questions for you. Yes. And now, 
there was some disagreement as to how to pronounce your your last name. I want to make sure we're doing it. Uh, your name is Spencer Char Charnis. You got it. Charnis. Oh, look at that. Oh, Jeff. First, first try. First try. Oh. Uh, that's always like the one thing I'm always worried about. So I, usually I'll just have people introduce themselves. So uh, tell the folks who may not be familiar a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. I am the front man and founder of the band Ice Nine Kills. And I also own Cleaver Clothing. Both are very horror-centric sort of lifestyle entities. And our new album, The Silver Scream, just came out last week. And it's 13 tracks, about 13 horror films. And the reaction from metal fans and genre fans alike has been really great. And hope to continue to tour throughout 2018 and 19 and keep pushing it. Yeah, I, I have found with uh, your guys' music, uh, and like I, I was uh, telling you last couple days, we, we've chatted briefly, um, I just recently came into knowing that you guys were a thing, which I'm kicking myself because I'm a huge horror fan, we're big metal fans, so to not know that you guys existed to me is like a crime. Um, one of the things I really want to talk to you about is how, like the process of, you know, making the music, like do you guys say, okay, we're going to, like your, your last album, Every Trick in the Book, was all about different novels. You know, so it's like, okay, these are books that meant something to us, or these are films that mean something to us. Like, what you know, what's what's the process? Like, do you watch the movies and then come up with the music? Do you say, okay, you know, I know what movies we want to cover, you know, because they mean something to us. You know, and like, how what's, do you do what's the writing process and what inspires you to do these genre-specific songs? Well, the last album we did, Every Trick in the Book, which was based on all classic literature it seemed to strike a chord with people and I thought the next logical step would, would be to do an album based on film because I thought that would be the next logical step and I heard fans saying oh wow we really love what you did with books you know I'd love to see what you guys would do with Jason or Michael or Freddie so it just seemed like the perfect time to do an album based on one of my greatest loves which is horror so once I came up with that idea, I wanted to get a list together of all the films that I thought would make compelling songs, and then sort of whittled it down to 13 to 20 songs, mm -hmm. and then sort of went from there. And I would take, usually the writing process is I take an acoustic guitar, or I play my keyboard, and I just start making melodies to chord progressions and sometimes I'll sit down and, and say to myself, okay, well this one is going to be about Friday the 13th, and what kind of melody could I do that would evoke those kind of emotions from that film series and sometimes I'll stumble upon a melody when I'm just trying to figure out any good melody and I'll be like, wow, that sounds like it would really fit with Michael Myers so I get that down, bring it to uh, our guitarist in the band, JD, who's really good at metal riffs and stuff and I'll usually take like a structure of a song, take it to him, we'll flesh it out a bit, and then I go back and write the lyrics. Usually write the lyrics with this guy, Steve Sopchak, who has been uh, our producer for many years, and we just really work very well together. We have very similar tastes when it comes to lyrical content. We like plays on words and, um, you know, puns and kind of stuff that 
that, it's right on my ass. Yeah, like we try to we try to make every line tattooable because we see a lot of people getting our lyrics tattooed. So we, we take a lot a lot of time to think things out. And yeah. Well, that's one of the things that you know we wanted to talk about. Like there are certain indelible moments in horror films, and it's you know, we we listen to the album. You know, we have been listening to stuff as it dropped on YouTube. You know, yeah. I follow you guys on YouTube, so I, I I do the subscription, click the bell, so every time a new thing drops, you know, I oh, I get notified. And so one of the ones that I didn't hear until the album dropped was Savages. So we're trying to, you know, we're listening, we're like, because we're kind of like, okay, you know, we were talking about it on the way to the show, so we missed the very beginning. So we're listening to the lyrics, we're trying to figure it out, and we're like, man, I'm having a hell of a time. We listened through it again, and as soon as I heard that sound at the beginning, right. I knew it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because it's that that camera flash yes. from the opening scene. And I was like, damn it. that like, And that's where, when you're a real horror fan, like there are those certain things that they hit you, and you're like, that's it. And I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about not just the music, because you've got those, you know, those riffs that are in there, but the lines, like... It's almost uh, like a love letter to horror fans. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so appreciated and definitely well-received. Thank you, yeah, and that's exactly... I'm glad you guys took that away from the album, because those are the little things that I would want to hear yeah. in a song about Texas Chainsaw, or in Halloween, or in Friday the 13th, you know. That's why I put in... Uh, a voice that sounded like Mrs. Voorhees in the Friday 13th mm-hmm. song. We actually, my good friend's mom, who was a, a great That's actress, awesome. we had her record it. And, you know, also wanted to, to do our own thing with it. Like, the dialogue is similar, but I wanted to rewrite it and kind of make it our own. Mm-hmm. And then things that like don't happen in the films, like that Halloween song, Stabbing in the Dark, that has, uh, you know, like the Haddonfield PD yeah. officer calling in, requesting backup. That doesn't really happen in the film, but I wanted to do something, you know, for the genre fans out there to be like, oh, that's cool, like they're calling in like a, a police report from Michael Myers. The thing I personally appreciate, as you can tell it by how I'm dressed, the thing I appreciate the most, uh, you know, as far as that goes, is uh, rocking the boat. Oh yeah. With the you know the added stuff from the the orca. Oh, you, know, you like that. In, in 15 minutes we'll be fucking shark bait. You like like that. Yeah. that was a great line. Like Jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I love sharks in general. So as soon as I was like, we were at work, I came running to her. I'm like, I'm like they have a Jaws song. I'm so <laughs> glad you guys like that one. I do want to say one thing. Uh, we talked about this yesterday, but I wanted to, you know, specifically mention it while we're doing the interview. Yeah. Um, we were trying to come up with a topic for our podcast, and, you know, we're thinking about it, and, like, it's time's dwindling down, and Grave Mistake dropped, and we're like, holy shit, how have we never covered Eric Draven? Because, you know, that, sh- that song hit us pretty hard like it was really good like the the passion in the lyrics and the passion in your vocalization of the lyrics is just it's something like you know we shared the video because you just talking about it doesn't do it justice well thank you and you know I know you were mentioning yesterday like it struck you in a specific way did you want to elaborate on that a little bit 
Well, no, I just, you know, I, I mentioned to you yesterday how um, with the current political climate, it's almost become like a battle cry for certain people. Yeah. You know, being able to take that song, and yes, it's about The Crow, and The Crow is a phenomenal movie, you know, in such great subject matter, but they're able to take those lyrics and, you know, use them to their own devices and, and have it pertain to them. So, you know, being able to, like, interpret it in a different way. That's awesome. I'm glad that people can find any kind of comfort um, in our music. You know, that's what we're trying to do is basically provide an escape from reality and empowerment, you know? Yes. So, uh, I do have a couple questions, obviously, about the, the clothing line as well. So, there are so many horror-based clothing lines. Uh, what is it that you guys do that separates you from everyone else, that, in your opinion? I think that we have a very dark sense of humor, and we try to do things that push the boundaries a little bit, right. because I, I, I always find my favorite horror movies aren't just scary and horrific and violent, but there's an element of comedy in there. And I think our clothing brand, it just reminds everybody to not take themselves so seriously, and it's okay to, it's okay to laugh. And we're the one of the few brands that I can think of on a national level that really is Salem-based. You know, I don't see too many brands out there, especially in this world, that can really claim they are from Salem like we are. Yeah. yeah. So that definitely, you know, gives you guys a, a bit of a, like, street cred, for lack of a better term. Yeah. You know, in the horror community. Um, I know you've got some folks, so I won't take up too much more of your time. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, uh, would like to know though, what is your favorite horror movie? It's so hard to nail down. I mean, definitely those are 13 of my favorite. Uh, you know, Halloween was the first one I ever saw, so that's like the grandfather of them. Mm -hmm. But I, I think I would have to go with Scream because it takes all of my favorite movies of the genre and kind of puts it into one and references them and takes the cliches and turns them on their head. And, it's just such a brilliant movie, yes. and it's funny, but it's also really scary and violent, and I just think it was one of the most clever horror films of all time. Wes Craven is just fantastic just with what genius. he does. Yeah. And Kevin Williamson, too, who wrote mm -hmm. the screenplay. Just really, really smart movie. Now, uh, another question for you. Um, what's a, uh, maybe an obscure movie that you really like that you would recommend to folks? We covered one on the album, which isn't obscure in the sense that genre fans would know it, but Silent Night, Deadly Night is a really cool one. It's got a cult following, mm -hmm. and it's just really... At least now they're dead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you like that. It's just a, a really fun, sleazy, violent movie from the 80s that got a bad rap, but at the end of the day... It's an exercise in showing people that if you suppress something, it only rear its head stronger, yep. and that's what happened with the film, because they banned it, and it became more of a success, because people are like, oh, what is that? It was banned? I want to see it. Right. So, screw those PTA groups across exactly. America that were, uh, that were trying to get it taken out of theaters. I, I will, I, I want to make a comment, uh, comment on uh, every trick in the book. Because you've got some really interesting books that you cover in the, you know, The Exorcist and, and uh, Carrie. But you also do The Diary of Anne Frank, which I thought was like a really nice twist. You know, like you had described it earlier, classic literature. Like, you know, based on some of the music that you guys do, like, it almost seems like 
an odd choice, like, but sometimes the worst horror is stuff that happens in real life. Absolutely. I think it was just an important book to cover, and it was uh, really the only one that was a diary, even though the song Alice is pitched as a diary. There's some speculation as to whether it was really someone actually, uh, someone's actual diary. Right. And everyone knows that you know the diary of Anne Frank is really the words of her, mm-hmm. and it's just such a powerful story. I mean, considering you know the Holocaust and you know this family hiding from the Nazis and staying in an annex. And we went to when we went to Amsterdam, we went to the house, Anne Frank's house. It was just really moving. So I, I thought it would be nice to do a tribute to that and include it. Yeah, and that's and again, that's something that I don't think you know. For people who aren't into this type of music or you know don't view this like, oh well, you know that doesn't take any talent. You know, it it really does, and you know people don't understand that there's a lot of heart behind the music. Like you're not just doing this to do this. You're doing this because you're passionate about it, and you know this shows that you know. You understand history. You understand what real life is like. So, oh, I appreciate that. Um, do you have anything else? Do you have anything? Oh well. Yeah, I'm good. Yes. Can we get some pictures? Yeah. Can we get some pictures? Okay. All right. Do that. Oh, you got yours? Well, I got hers. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. What's up, Jason? This is a convention, baby. Where can folks find you guys? Bestplaceice9kills.com. Our Instagram is ice number nine kills and the Twitter is Ice Nine Kills. So there Perfect. you go. So uh, yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna ask if we could give just like a super quick selfie. We're here with the the awesome Mr. William Forsyth, who has been awesome to me in the past. Uh, and if you've never seen him, uh, what the hell have you been doing with your life? What movies are you watching? Uh, so our question for you is uh, we have two. One, who is your favorite universal monster? And what is your favorite portrayal of that character? Well, again, I happen to be re-seeing these movies. I have a five and a half turning six son, and I, I wanted him to be turned on to all the great black and white, and so the universal monsters are a great way to start with that. Yeah. He's obsessed with, as I was, with the Wolfman. Nice. And, you know, and Lon Chaney, I don't think there ever will be a Wolfman you know, like Lon Chaney, because I, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to it. I also love those movies because you can t- take kids yeah. to see these films. Yeah, they, they can relate to it and not be shocked by it, whereas today's versions are all about the blood and the guts and, and shock value. Right. You know, so I love the Universal Monsters, and by far the Wolfman okay. he wins the award. Now, the follow-up, everybody who's picked the Wolfman, I've had to ask, 
What's your all-time favorite werewolf transformation on screen? Oh, God. Has there ever <laughs> been a really great one, I wonder? I'm trying to remember. What was the name of that movie that they had? I mean, the movie I didn't like. D. Wallace was in it, the one where they turned into wolves. What's the name of that movie? It was made in the late 70s or early 80s. The but there was a, there was, yeah, I think so. But there was a great transformation in that movie. But I don't know. I, I you know... I like the, like I said, I like the simple version of That's it. Fine. You know, I, I, I prefer, you know, I, I, you know, like my son. It was funny. He just bought a Wolfman outfit. Uh, his mom bought him, and it had all these claws on it. And then my son and I just watched the Wolfman, you know, meet Frankenstein, and he, uh, and he goes, he doesn't have any claws. And I said, they didn't need claws back then. You That's know? true. <laughs> so the second question is, uh, you know, you're at a convention. People are coming up here to meet you. So. Had there been conventions, you know, back when you were a kid, who would you have waited in line to go see? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I remember, you know, I was obsessed with old. I mean, I still am. I live in black and white. I was obsessed with all the old movie stars, the the older actors. I was obsessed with Gary Cooper and Jimmy Cagney. I loved Humphrey Bogart. I loved, you know, I had my list of guys that I just Alan Ladd, guys that I loved. And those kind of movies. I mean, basically, sometimes I think that I was... I should have been born then because I would have been at Warner Brothers. You know, I would have been one of the guys working with them. But, you know, to pick a favorite is just so hard. Uh, You know, I mean, who I would wait on line for. I'll put it to you this way. I wrote Jimmy Cagney a a fan letter when I was a little boy. And I was very distressed because I never got a letter back. I'm pretty sure I probably wrote it to the wrong address because I had other friends got letters back from Mr. Cagney. So, you know, but, you know, I'm fortunate enough. I got to Hollywood just at the right time. I got to meet a lot of guys from the faded era. That's awesome. And so I did get to meet different people that, you know, fulfilled that that dream in a way. That is pretty cool. I don't know if I'd wait online for anybody, but I'd wait for them outside. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. And uh, we, we got a chance to ask Malcolm McDowell the same thing. And he said Jimmy Cagney. It's fun. That's fine. So, I love Cagney. I actually saw him once in 1975. You know? I mean, I, I, all these rumors, like, for instance, Henry Fonda. I had a job in New York. I, I, I worked checking coats and selling candy. And um, Henry Fonda was doing Clarence Darrow. Yep. And I saw every performance of it, every single performance. And every night I would, ch- I would, I would give the co- I'd practically throw the coats at everybody at the end. Because I wanted to run outside and be at the exit when Henry Fonda left. And every night I did. I went outside and I waited and I just stood there like with a few people and watched Henry Fonda come out, get in his car and leave. And one night, a couple months into it, Henry Fonda does his usual thing, gets in the car, and then suddenly the window rolls down and he looks at me and he goes, Oh, I thought I That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you very much for my your time. Pleasure. I appreciate pleasure, it. Buddy. So we are here with Mr. Malcolm McDowell, star of innumerable innumerable films. So the question I have for you, you're here at a convention, people are here paying to see you, to talk to you. If you had a chance to go to meet someone at a convention, who would it have been? Well, um, I think the one that I would have loved to have talked to would have been uh, Jimmy Cagney. That's a good choice. That's a really good choice. That's yeah. great. But A, I don't think it would be possible because he didn't do conventions. I don't think there were conventions then, but 
Jimmy Cagney was an inspiration to me as a young actor. He's one of the greatest actors that ever lived, I think, especially in Hollywood. And I just love watching his movies. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter um, who's in the scene with him. You never take your eyes off Jimmy Cagney. That's even true. even with the greats, you know, we worked with um, all of them, you know. Um, but Cagney was very special, and um, I wish I'd worked with him. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Actually, my ex-wife worked with him, which really pissed me off. <laughs> I went, Why? Why are you working with him? You don't even know who he is. And final question for <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Do you have a favorite monster? You know, you're big in the horror genre. Is there a specific monster that you just really identify with you really like? Well, I love uh, Godzilla. Okay, nice. Godzilla's yeah. actually the first episode of our podcast we ever did was Godzilla. Really? Yeah. Godzilla or uh, King Kong, you know, um, simply because there's a sort of humanity that they put into these characters, which is fun. Um, and they did a great job with it, originally. Yeah, the 33 was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's still my favorite version. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for thank your time. You. I nice appreciate you. it. Okay. Thank you. Enjoy the movie. So thank you. <laughs> and we're back. So. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, like, we got a chance to talk to... Now, there's some out-of-context stuff with this Malcolm McDowell thing. Um, when I say at the end, enjoy the movie. So he did a panel, which was moderated by our good friend Stephanie Wiley. And she did a fantastic job, especially because he ended up getting a phone call right in the middle of it about a guy wanting to play golf with him. Um, but he, uh, she asked him if he based his performance in Rob Zombie's Halloween films uh, his his performance of uh, Dr. Samuel Loomis on the Donald Pleasance version, and he said, "You know what? I've never I've never seen the original Halloween. It's never been on. It's never been." You I know, mean, when I'm and the audience was just completely shocked at this point because you know how can you have not seen Halloween at any point I mean especially in October you turn on the television and you're more than likely to see either Halloween a nightmare on Elm Street or one of the Friday the 13th but to be fair you know as Stephanie pointed out he's got 237 movie credits to his to his name no this is true the man is busy he's very busy I don't think he sleeps I think he's a vampire but uh you know he'd never he'd never seen it but to be fair, he's like, well, I knew Donald Pleasance, so I kind of knew how he would carry out carry on the character. So he had that going for him. So that was Saturday, and on Sunday, uh, I brought in my extra VHS copy of Halloween and gave that to him shortly before we asked him for the interview. So that's where that that comes from. But yeah, we. How about fucking evil corny, huh? I I can't even believe like we actually got to meet him in person after having so many conversations with him over social media and yeah. whatnot to see him walk into the cove on Friday night. Like I love how you immediately knew it was him. I know I start I start tapping you. I'm like I'm like it's corny. It's corny. What? It's evil corny. I was so excited. 
Oh, it was it was so cool. And like I said, you know, he was staying with Raven Shadow. Uh, Wolfie knew about it. Uh, Wiley almost gave it away. Mm-hmm. She almost, but she she managed to she, keep, she managed to keep the surprise. And that was it. That's it. Yeah, nobody else knew. It was a complete surprise for everyone else, and that was just awesome. And it was the best thing when he just like strolled up to the cove, and we were there, like, "Holy shit, this is the best thing ever!" So this marks, you know, you know, like the third year in a row that somebody's gotten to see their first Dead Eye show over the past. Three years, counting this past year, we've had Jeremy and Joanna, mm-hmm. Ian, uh, El Goro, mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 Mark and Alicia from Punch Farm, yeah, Slaygoth, yeah. Evil Corny, all these folks. Spicy Kristen saw her first Dead Eye show recently. Steve Van Sampson saw Steve his Van first Sampson Dead Eye show. Van Sampson brought his wife and his brother. Yeah, so that's that's like the best. It's just it's. It's great because, you know, like you're saying, it's a family reunion. So we do have a voicemail from Evil Corny. So if we can go ahead and quickly play that, Wolfie, if uh, possible. See. Hey, guys, this is Evil Corny. It was real nice seeing you all this weekend for rock, during Rock and Shock, and I hope to see you all in the future. And thanks for doing the interview with me on this episode. You'll have a good one. Evil Corny out. Nice and easy, quick to the point. So, yeah, it was awesome. Um, how about uh, Spencer? Spencer was fucking nice, huh? He was so incredibly sweet. Like, very sweet um, and talented. Like, being able to see Ice Nine Kills for the first time um, on Thursday. And, God, they put on such a killer show. It was so great. Pun definitely intended. And, yeah. Um, and then running into him at Rock and Shock, he was there with his Cleaver Clothing Company, uh, and seeing the products that they put out, you know, he is a multi-talented person and just so incredibly nice. They were only a few booths down from, uh, from the Deadites booth. This is true. And like somehow we managed to walk right by him the first time we went in there. And uh, Spicy Kristen saw him. She was like, oh, my God, it's Spencer. Oh, my God, it's Spencer. Oh, my God, it's Spencer. <laughs> so, and he was wearing, I, I have to describe the shirt he's wearing. Mm-hmm. So there's a line in the title, uh, the, not the title, but the opening track of their newest album, The Silver Scream, 13 horror movies turned into 13 songs. There's a line that says, you know, evil fit like a glove. And the front of the sweatshirt has you know the back of the sweatshirt has that line but the front of the sweatshirt is a picture of oj simpson and that infamous if it doesn't fit you must acquit uh you know incident in the uh during his trial Mm -hmm. but he's trying on the freddy krueger glove instead so i thought that was uh really cool i'm uh honestly partial to the anti-crust uh pentagram pizza shirt so uh kristen got a got a shirt it's a noose that says let's hang out yes yes so uh check them out uh i'm gonna be doing a series of articles recapping different days from from rock and shock and different events uh one of them's already out and it's the review of the uh kickoff party so if you hadn't had a chance to check that out check it out i give a pretty good breakdown on um ice nine kills their performance and like their kind of style so uh, Ashes, what else you got? I got nothing. 
I'm sleepy. Yeah. Still. It's, it's been a tough. Well, I mean, we've had a tough, tough week. I can I can still party like I'm in my 20s, but I cannot recover like I'm in my 20s. Right. And this is this is an insane week. So we're recording this Tuesday and it'll drop Thursday. So, you know, yesterday we went out to lunch with Stephanie, which mm-hmm. was nice before she went home. And today we're recording. Tomorrow is your birthday, and we're doing we're doing trivia. And I'm going to attempt to eat a two pound taco. And I'm going to drink so many margaritas. I, I will be posting this, so if you missed it, we'll see if I can do it or not. Because I don't know. Uh, Thursday we're going to Roger Williams. So the day this drops, we'll be at Roger Williams Zoo looking For, at the pumpkins, the yeah, jack o' lantern spectacular that we yep. do every year. Friday we have a Rocky Picture Horror Show. The Rocky Picture Horror Show. The Rocky Picture Horror Show. Yeah, it's, uh, we're going to a shadow cast. Yep. It's uh, and then Saturday we're hanging out with some friends at the Menden Drive-in to watch the 1978 Halloween, followed by the brand new Halloween. So I'm excited. I'm nice, really looking nice forward back to back. that. Uh, and then Sunday uh, we're gonna slip into a coma for like. 24 hours mm-hmm. and then start it all up again next week october's just a party october is a party it's ashtoberfest we are smack dab in the middle of ashtoberfest literally the middle it's right the middle. now yeah so um i don't know i th- i think that's about it we could again we could just go on and on and on and on and on but uh, but thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed these interviews. We definitely had a lot of fun oh, interviewing totally. our friends, our family, and these super talented celebrities that showed up at yes. Rock and Shock. And next year is the 15th anniversary of Rock and Shock, which is crazy. So I cannot wait to see what they're going to announce, who they're going to bring, yes. and the shenanigans that shall ensue. I just, before we wrap up and go, I just want to say a special thank you, special shout out to Mike Welch for taking a chance on us and allowing us to cover the con. Um, I think that's, you know, it's really awesome, you know, and I hope we uh, lived up to his expectations of us, you know, in promotion and, and the way we handled ourselves handled ourselves sorry i'm tired too not the Um, way we speak english though no not the way we speak after we're very very tired but uh because i i love this kind of and going since 2008 um it means a lot to me you know and because of that con we have so many friends and like our extended con family yes so i just want to say thank you to to mike um and and speaking of conventions The Throwdown Thursday crew will be at Rhode Island Comic Con on November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Are you going to be doing anything special that weekend? Um, I might. I might be meeting a specific person from a specific movie that we have covered on this show. Two movies that we've covered on this show. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell the folks who that is, or do you want to leave them in suspense? Oh my God, you guys! I'm meeting Tim Curry. Yep. We got <laughs> so the, excited. We got a, a well. You you have the photo op and the autograph. Yes. For Tim Curry. Yes. Happy birthday to me. Yes, that was your birthday present this year. I said, why buy you something that you can, you know, that's a thing when it's something that will last forever. So yes, we will be. At the Rhode Island Convention Center. 
in the Dunkin', the Dunkin, Dunkin Donut Center, Donut Center uh, down in Providence, Rhode Island on November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be there pretty much the whole weekend. I will have my shark hoodie on because I always do. That's my thing. I will be meeting Tim Curry, and I swear to God, I will report back to all of you and just share his magnificence with I everyone. May, I may just go YouTube live directly after she gets away from him so you can see her as a blubbering mess because I'm sure she's going to hold herself together perfectly fine while she's with him. And then two seconds after she walks away, she's just going to break down and be like, oh, my God, I met Tim Curry. So it's going to be awesome. And he's a treasure and I'm very excited. He's a treasure and you dig him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. I think. Uh, oh, next week we'll be covering the Mummy. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so, after interviewing people, taking a break of covering our Universal monsters, we're going to get back into our Universal monster discussions, and we'll be talking about the Mummy. That's right. So, on that note, we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs>